Happy Halloween. Do try not to die. Welcome to Prime Time. Welcome to the Convince Me Show. Come on in, sit down, turn out the lights, pay no attention to the noise coming from outside your window, pay no attention to the scratching on the wall, and whatever you do, don't you dare fall asleep. It's Halloween week, and we here at Convince Me Show are pumped. We're ready for it, and we're ready to bring you a great show. I'm Andy Rutherford, joined as always by Mr. Casey Elrod, Mr. Brian Bennett, and tonight, our first ever returning guest, Mr. Alex Anderson. Gentlemen, y'all ready to get a little bit spooky? Do okay. it. <laughs> All right, guys. Bennett, you look like you're about to say something. I just, I just have a, I don't want to jinx it, but I just have a gut feeling that this is probably going to be my favorite episode when it's all said and done. I believe that that is highly, and highly I'm this time. Hey, good luck with any Forrest Gump reference tonight. It's going to be tough. I have faith. I, I would not bet against him at all. That, that's actually on my grading rubric that I have. So uh, for your sake, Bennett, I hope you do drop one. <laughs> all right guys well we're gonna try to get through this quickly because we know last week's show was a uh, bit of a long one um we're not we're two trying hours two hours and who wants to listen to elrod talk for two hours well i didn't talk for most of it <laughs> that's why we allowed it to go to air because if elrod talked for two hours it wouldn't have made it off the cutting room floor. But anyway, uh, before I explain tonight's show, let me give you our weekly shield. Follow us on all the socials. Uh, Facebook.com slash Convince Me Show. That is our most active social media. That is where you're going to get the preview to each week's episode. Excuse me. Every Tuesday night, 6 o'clock. Uh, Twitter, at Convince Me Show. That's where you can go. Every now and then we get lazy. Um, we don't want to be creative, so we turn it over to you guys to pick our topics for the week. Uh, and when we do those polls, those can be found over on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, Convince Me Show. Follow us there as well. Nothing special going on there, but if you're going to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you might as well cover all your bases. Uh, and, of course, we're on YouTube with the full video, full episodes every week, tinyurl.com slash convince me show and of course every wednesday morning we are dropping wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts if we're not there let us know we'll do our best to get there that's it for the shield this week guys this is going to be an exciting show <clears throat> when we think about halloween we think about the great classic horror movies and especially those great cheesy that's not how we're determining winners here. Um, <laughs> those great, <laughs> cheesy, 80s slasher movies. Those are the pinnacle when it comes to this time of year. And we got to debating 
which one's going to be, which two are we going to put against each other? Because when you look at it, there's really three heavy hitters. So we thought, why not throw all of them in there and bring in somebody else uh, to determine the winner? And that somebody else, our mediator, our judge, is our returning guest. Mr. Alex L.B. Anderson will be handling those duties for us tonight very judiciously as we have Freddy Krueger versus Michael Myers versus Jason Voorhees. It's Nightmare on Elm Street versus Halloween versus Friday the 13th. Alex, are you very willing to call this one right down the middle and give it to some one of the three of us purely on the merits? Absolutely. And that's actually, I have written down on the very top of my notes page that this is an issue, a truly an issue of first impression for me because I'm going to go ahead and say it. I've only ever seen all of these movies once. What? I've seen the entire series. I'm a big chicken. I'm the one that woke right up at like nine in the morning because someone knocked on our door. I'm like, somebody's at our door. I don't remember when it was. It was like two in the morning. Okay. It wasn't light out, but I was scared to answer the door by myself. I can't watch one of these movies in the dark around Halloween. So Mm. I've only ever seen them once each. And uh, it's, uh, yes, absolutely. This is going to be purely on the merits as long as I don't pick what everyone else writes. Ah, there you go. Well, I'm doing Friday 13th. <laughs> so. I'm disappointed because I watched two of these today while on the clock working. Um, <laughs> that's a big statement. That, that's a big statement to my employer. But. <laughs> big statement. All right. <laughs> Alex, how are we determining order tonight? All right. Everybody has their blank sheet of paper and their pen. Have a blank pen. Okay, okay. I didn't. I didn't read the memo fully. Apparently. Okay, so uh, first question is going to be: Do you guys want this to be a uh, um, a Halloween themed or a just a random Halloween? Halloween. Forest Gump theme. <laughs> well, two to one B, sorry. Um, okay, so what I'm going to have you do uh, is I'm going to give you roughly 30 seconds, and each of you are uh, with your who everybody's right handed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with your left hand, I'm going to have you draw. I'm left handed. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> <laughs> with your left hand i'm gonna have you draw the scariest jack-o'-lantern you possibly can first of all this is crap because art over here show. literally has an art degree uh, i mean well i thought the left hand would make it equal with you guys all so right. Creativity might go to b for the edge but i don't know if his coordination so is do just- we have to draw the actual pumpkin Yes. Pumpkin and face. Left-handed. And I'll put a timer on, and I'm just going to read some fun facts about these movies while y'all do this. And when I'm done, you're going to give me what you got. All right? Okay. And let's go. All right. So 
getting ready for tonight, I did a little bit of research on these movies. Just I wanted to, to see some fun facts because, quite honestly, I didn't have uh, didn't know a lot about these. Like I said earlier, but uh, for the Freddy movies, uh, it took three hours to apply and take off Freddy's makeup in the original film. Thought that was super interesting. Um, and the original movie was shot in 32 days. That's phenomenal. Um, killing my, you're killing my group tonight, Alex. You're killing it. You're killing me. <laughs> and the red and green sweater that Freddie wears is scientifically proven to be unsettling. So that's got, that's a little interesting. For the Jason, and, um, for the Jason films, uh, the character is named after Victor Miller's children. Josh and Ian. Uh, Jason has a thing for blondes. Uh, all of them are in some variation, blonde or dirty blonde, all of his victims. Um, and his hockey, hockey mask didn't debut until film three. So, Rod, are you confident in what you just draw? Yeah. I'm going to win. I mean, there's no way I don't, I don't win this. Okay. And then so for the last one, it just went over a little 30 seconds, but so let's, let's run with it. For, the Michael, for Michael Myers... Halloween 2 is the only film that shows the morning after Halloween night. thought that was cool. Mm. Pumpkins were scarce in the first film because it was shot in spring. And John Carpenter, the director and co-writer, also composed the score in the original film, despite not knowing how to read music. How cool oh, is that? Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Anderson gives my opening statement. How about that? <laughs> I'm just ready to go right to closing argument. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm sorry if I actually took that. That was good, though. That, that, was, good. that was good. Let's, let's see some pumpkins now. All right, let's see everybody's pumpkins. Yeah. That's a good one. That was left handed. <laughs> There's the Forrest Gump reference. And he's got ice cream. <laughs> uh, that's the best I can do. You ready for this? You ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. 2020. <laughs> Scariest pumpkin alive. Scariest there we go. Alive. Holy smokes. Okay, y'all are gonna make this really hard. Um actually I'm I'm not gonna lie. I just made y'all do that because I wanted to see what how good y'all could do. I'm gonna have y'all pick a number. <laughs> All right. Uh so uh remember what we said about this being a shorter episode? Didn't get that memo. No, I sure didn't. So um Okay, so I'm going to need y'all to pick a number, 1 through 50. 1 through 50? 1 through 50. Is it closest or closest without going over? Just closest. All right. I'm in. I'm in for the win. Okay. Yeah. Ready? Everybody good? All right. 13, uh, Dan Marino. That's a, that's a good one. 49, the 49ers. 27. Well, it's going to be rut because I picked 39. Woo. So, all right, Rut, you are going to get to pick the order for tonight. Um, Elrod will about lead off. Bennett will be the monkey in the middle, and I will <laughs> close this out. All right, all right. Sounds good. I have a few questions lined up for you guys. So I may uh, – now, Rutt and Bennett, the only rules I have for tonight is that run it – this one – there's only one rule, really, and it doesn't apply to Rutt and Bennett. 
It is that Elrod must refer to me as your honor. Your honor. <laughs> so whenever, uh, whenever you want to go, Elrod. It'll be his honor. <laughs> be it please, your honor. Your honor. Your honor. Alex, let's cut the crap. This argument tonight is not even close. You know, I love the horror movies. I love Jason. I love Freddy Krueger. But they pale in comparison to the king of horror. Really, too. John Carpenter, who is the best horror director and producer of all time, better than Stephen King, better than a lot of people when it it comes to horror movies, is simply the best. And we'll get into that more. I told Rudd earlier that I was going to make a very shocking statement tonight. That's the first one. When you look at the Mount Rushmore of horror movies, usually there is a consensus that there's four. The Shining, Psycho, Alien, Halloween. Halloween is the gold standard of not only the slasher genre, but horror movies as a whole. Why is it? It's because it's realistic. This isn't no magic fairy tale. This is something that could happen to you. And that's the reason why this scared the crap out of teenagers in the 70s and still does today. I will show you how Halloween tonight, the quality, there's been some crap Halloween movies. I'm not going to sit up here and try to say that Halloween 3, 4, and 5 are great films because they're not. Likewise, there's a lot of Freddy movies, Jason movies that are not, you know, good quality too but what halloween has been able to do has they've been able to reboot in 2018 with the franchise bringing back jamie lee curtis it's almost as good as the original and no other of these franchises we're talking about tonight can can say that john carpenter we're going to talk about he directed the fog they live And one of my favorites, Christine, Stephen King book, John Carpenter movie. Great, great director. I'm going to make this short and sweet. Freddie, Jason, very scary. They pale in comparison to this man right here. This man. Counselor, I have one question to to ask you after your opening statement here is um <clears throat> what is the standard of review in this case standard of review is what i say it is <laughs> you forgot your honor on the end of that statement can i make an objection absolutely on the grounds of excessive use of extreme hyperbole and bull <laughs> i'm not sure i heard one argument in that whole opening statement this is Chewbacca. <laughs> mm, Chewbacca defense. Okay. Well, there's our opening statement for uh, Michael Myers and Halloween. I believe, B, you are up next. Okay. First, before I get into my spiel, um, when you talk about directors in horror movies, I, I, I first think of Tim Burton, honestly. Even though he's not super scary, to me, that's the king of horror films. 
And if you want to get into like scary, you've got like Eli Roth, stuff like that. I don't know about, I don't know what kind of lies Elrod's trying to tell you. Don't listen to him. But let's get into it. I'm going to name off a few, a few characters here. Of course, you know, we're going to talk about Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. Some of the people that we unfortunately had to leave out, Chucky, I think we, he should be mentioned in there. Um, the Leprechaun, we talked about the Leprechaun a little bit too. Um, what about Pennywise? We left him Pennywise off. We left off Leatherface. That's a huge one. And um, goes on and on and on, really. We could keep going. But all these people I just named are what you would consider the, uh, the greatest slashers of all time. And truly, a lot of these people that I mentioned are some of my favorite movie characters of any genre, not just horror genre. But when I, when I started researching, I started thinking about it, there's really only one of these guys that truly stands head and shoulders above the rest of them. And I'm not just talking about his big imposing um, stru structure. Um, his, if you look, his appearance is iconic. Um, he's, he's got some depth to him, even if it means to or not. He's, he's quite brutal and gory, but at the same time, too, he's very sympathetic. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. He's got some really serious mommy issues. Um, he's pretty much indestructible. There's really only one way to truly kill him. Um, he's silent, which I think makes him scary too. And he's very much undead. And what really kind of puts the uh, nail in the coffin is he has the highest kill count of any of these guys. And this is Jason Voorhees. And tonight, it will be it will be my honor, your honor, even though I don't have to say it, I'm going to say it, to convince you that of these three, the best slasher of the three is Jason Voorhees. Excellent, excellent. Well, well crafted, Bennett. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Take take note. Casey. <laughs> okay, right. What do you got for us? By the way, what's the score of that football game? I don't know. I turned the TV off. Mm -hmm. This has my undivided attention. <laughs> to start my opening statement, I'd like to ask a question to opposing counsel. Mr. Elrod, we're all aware that for some reason your favorite movie of all time is Twister, correct? Yes. yes. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? The first scream. The first scream. The brainchild of who? Wes Craven. Wes Craven. The diabolical genius who has made millions of dollars off of the Scream franchise. And as much as the Scream franchise is made, it is the second greatest thing to come out of the mind of Wes Craven. And the first greatest thing to come out of the mind of Wes Craven is Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street series, uh, the franchise as a whole. 
as a viewer, what makes Freddy Krueger better than Jason Voorhees and better than Michael Myers? Because he's absolutely terrifying and hilarious all in one. Everybody likes a little mix of a little funny and a little violent. He's a lot of funny and a lot of violent, a lot of dangerous. But let's take it out of the viewer right now. What is more scary? These two slow, lumbering guys that come at you with, with these weapons in their hands. That's pretty scary. But there's an escape route. Your Honor, have you ever gone for, say, 24 hours without sleep? Maybe once or twice. Have you ever gone 48 hours without sleep? Mm, can't say I have. Can you imagine trying to stay awake for days on end because you know that if you fall asleep, you'll be falling into the hands of a man that in your dream is indestructible and he doesn't carry around a weapon. His weapon is a part of him and there's no way to hurt him in your dream. And eventually, if you do go days upon days without sleep, you're going to lose your mind. You're going to become very, very unhealthy. And eventually you're going to sit down at some point and you're not going to be able to escape that impending doom. There's no way to escape the man. There's no way to hurt him when you're in his world. And the fact that falling asleep basically means sending yourself to your own deathbed is absolutely terrifying to think about. We've all had bad dreams and nightmares that shake us to our core when we wake up. What if those terrible things actually happened to us in our nightmares and we didn't wake up? Yeah, big slumbering guys coming at us with a machete or knife, that's pretty terrifying, but nowhere near as terrifying as being killed in your sleep by a crazy man in a sweater and a fedora covered in burn scars with blades on his fingers. That's what makes Freddy Krueger more terrifying, thus making him the best slasher villain there is. Counselor, I just have one follow-up question, and that is, are you saying that dying in your sleep isn't as peaceful and comforting as the world makes it out to be? Not when you're slashed to death by a man with blades on his hand. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. All right, guys. That was opening statements, and that ends the Facebook portion, the Facebook preview of this show. Make sure if you're watching us on Facebook right now, you check us out tomorrow, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, better yet, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Watch us and listen to us. See how well they sync up. Make sure you're checking us out. But for those of us, for those of us, for those of you on the podcast or watching us on YouTube, we will be right back. spooky edition of convince me we've given opening arguments to our esteemed guest and mediator for the evening mr anderson 
Mr. Anderson, where shall actually, we head next? If you actually notice, uh, I changed my name on the screen. Not Mr. Anderson anymore. Well, two out of three ain't bad. I believe Meatloaf <laughs> said that. The thing is, the viewers watching this can't see the nameplates, so that's oh, really for our pleasure. Um, okay. <laughs> but anyway, where are we headed, sir? Where we're headed? All right. Yeah, we've had opening statements. Uh, Alrod definitely went over the one-minute maximum, so I'm going to deduct some points there. But uh, if he would have actually made an argument, I might have not counted it against him. Um, any listener listening right now is going, there's a time limit? <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's an unwritten rule of baseball, you know. It's, there's time limits. no rules in here. No, so, well, there, there are now. Ooh, ooh, Mr. Judge comes on here and he starts imposing the rules on us. Look at Mr. Him. Judge. Have you ever called a judge, Mr. Judge? <laughs> Have not, but I'll call you that. <laughs> Maybe if I met Mike Judge, I'd call him Mr. Judge. <laughs> or Aaron Judge. I'd no. call him something else. <laughs> I'm, I'm with a right on that one. Okay. <laughs> So uh, let's get into your main arguments. Uh, again, the order is going to be Mr. Elrod, followed by Mr. Bennett, followed by Mr. Rutt. Um, and so I'm not going to require you to go in order of subtopics, just, uh, but I think what we're generally shooting for is origins of the character, the original movie, uh, sequels, best movie in the franchise, uh, the public reception uh, and critical reception. Any re reboots you want to talk about? I think Casey's already mentioned at least one reboot. Um, and then the big one for me is what sets your character apart from the other, mainly the two others that you're against? Um, give me give me something that is just going to, again, this is a de novo review, an issue of first impression. Give me something that just knocks my socks off. I want to blow you away. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, so, uh, Mr. Elrod, if you would lead sure. us off. All right, origins of a character. Well, the origin of Michael Myers stems from an idea that one of the producers of the original Halloween film, Erwin Yoblins, he came up with a screenplay called The Babysitter Murders, which was the framework which Halloween was written under. And I just want us all to take a minute to think to ourselves how different the Halloween movie franchise would have been if it was the babysitter murders. I don't, I'm not sure how that would have flown and what legacy that would have created. But John Carpenter takes the idea and he, he likes the idea, but he says, we need to like come up with a theme. And he thought to himself, no one's really ever made a horror movie that centers around Halloween. So he takes the Babysitter Murders screenplay and adds Halloween to it and the characters. Um, in terms of the actual, what the basis of a, of a character is, the main character clearly on every one of the movies except Halloween 3, and we'll talk more about that later, is Michael Myers. Michael Myers in the first uh, edition uh, and also the Rob Zombie movies is the same. 
uh, focuses on he's a child. He murders his sister when he's six years old, Judith. He's sent to a sanitarium and he stays there until he's an adult. And then he's being transferred to court uh, to stand trial as an adult and he escapes. And uh, that's where he goes back to Haddonfield, Illinois, and he starts his rampage in both the Carpenter Halloween and also the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Counselor, can I ask a question? Yes. So you're saying that he was arrested as a juvenile, mm -hmm. killed years without trial. Yes, and then... it makes no sense. Okay. <laughs> it you makes no go. sense. You have to think, uh, you take the judicial system and throw it out in the Halloween universe. Okay. 12 years and it's, it makes no sense. But John Carpenter was asked, can you describe what Halloween is? And he said this. He said it's true crass exploitation. He wanted to make a film that he would have loved to have seen as a child that was full of cheap tricks, like a haunted house at a fair where you walk down the corridor and things just jump out at you. The film has been cited. Uh, one thing that uh, folks... Uh, Movie critics throughout the years, um, the original movie and, and the subsequent reboot, especially the, the early movies, it, if you if a teenager does anything bad in the Halloween movies, they're going to die. Sex, drugs, in those early Halloween movies, you knew that these people are about to die. A lot of people always have the theory that John Carpenter is trying to tell us if we have premarital sex or we drink or we do all this, Michael Myers is going to shelter her house and kill us. He never denied that, but a lot of people believe that it was John Carpenter's way of saying, you better get right, or Michael Myers is coming over to your house and killing you and your family. So he, the origin of Michael Myers goes back to the Hitchcock, to the Psycho days. John Carpenter was a big, big, big fan of uh, the Hitchcock films. And you, you can see this, and we'll talk more about the uh, the actual movies here in a minute, but there, a lot of Hitchcock can be seen in this film, and there's a big influence with him. So that is the origin of Michael Myers and also the movie franchise. Um, I think I was just going to have you roll through all of them, your whole argument. Or do y'all want to break it up by subtopic like that? Let's break it up. Nobody wants to listen to Elrod talk for that long. <laughs> uh, that, that is a good point. Very good point. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> I will allow it. I will allow. Um, okay. So, B, uh, what's uh, what's the origin of the Jason character? Sure. He was born uh, Jason Voorhees on Friday, June 13th. 1946 to uh, Pamela Voorhees. Um, dad wasn't in the picture, so she pretty much raises him alone. Um, when he was born, he was born with some uh, facial deformities. Um, he had a rather large head and he had a quite grotesque, disfigured face. And uh, oh, he's he was, <laughs> I was waiting on it. Here it comes. I was trying Here to slide comes. through without getting it. <laughs> this is not about Elrod. This is about Jason Voorhees. But so his mom keeps him. 
isolated and kind of sheltered from everything. Kind of think like Bobby Boucher and his mama. That's kind of how she kept Jason here. And his his mother was his everything. Now, stop right there. We're going to hit a timeout. You've got a boy who was born with no father in the picture. Mama's left to raise him by himself, okay? He's born with some uh, <laughs> mental disabilities, okay? And he's, he's a little bit different than his peers. This, this sounds like something I've heard before. This sounds an awful lot like Forrest Gump to me. So let me say real quick that I think had, had Forrest not have become friends with Jenny and then later on with Bubba, I think we could be talking about Forrest as the fourth of heavy hitter slasher. Honestly, that whole story goes a different way if he's not friends with Jenny. He wins. He wins, guys. I give it to Bennett. <laughs> so I just want to throw that in there. Hey, do we okay. know how many people uh, Gump killed in Vietnam? I don't know. He was, he was running out of there. Maybe he saved more than he killed. I think so. Anywho, so, so you've got young Jason, you've got Pamela, and she's, you know, she's, she's watching over him. She's taking care of him. Well, she lands this job as a cook at this, uh, at this summer camp called Camp Crystal, and she doesn't really have anybody to watch Jason. I don't think she really trusts anybody to watch Jason. So what she do, she takes, she takes Jason um, with her to this camp. And of course he gets there and kids are mean, you know, the kids, they teased him. They made fun of him. They were pretty cruel to him and uh, they kind of stepped over the line and um, they actually like threw him into the lake and um, he wasn't able to swim. And there were some counselors that were uh, supposed to be watching him, but they were off um, engaging in other affairs other than watching Jason so their negligence um, leads to him drowning. So mom's mad and um, she kind of snaps and she's going to avenge her son. And so she goes out on this killing spree. It's the mom that goes on the killing spree first, not Jason. I don't know how many people actually know that unless you're a big, huge Jason buff. So she meets this one girl named Alice and they get into a scuffle and Alice gets the best of uh, his mom. So, and Jason witnesses this. He witnesses his, his, uh, his mom die. We'll get into that some later. And so what Jason does is he kind of already has this um, already messed up perception of how um, humans act towards him. You know, they were mean to him. They just killed his mom. So he's kind of starting to get messed up in the head. He already had a few um, nuts and bolts loose anyway. So what he does is he gathers up all her belongings, her clothes. He gets her machete and he takes her severed head and he makes a shrine out of this. And he he sets out to find his mom's killer. But after he does this, he uh, he returns back to the camp and he just becomes more and more bloodthirsty to avenge any and all people, you know, young kids, I mean, teenagers, young adults and adults, he, he's going to kill all of them. Anybody that steps in his path. 
So, and to do this, he's um, avenging his mom. So, what he does is he goes back to the Camp Crystal. He uh, he finds this hockey mask. He puts it on. He puts on this sweet leather jacket, and he finds these fingerless gloves. And then, last thing he does is he gets that machete that we know so well, and that's where we get the Jason Voorhees that we know today. Counselor, is this based on a true story by chance? I think it is true. Jason's out there. You want to know where I learned or where I first learned that Jason was not the killer in the first Friday the 13th movie? You know this, right? Most people not watching the movie. Well, mm-hmm. Scream. That, that's what, one of the questions a killer asks uh, one of the people he kills when he calls in. Ah, uh, from the great mind of Wes Craven. <laughs> the reason I it was for Maury. Or not the killer. The reason I asked that, Bennett, is because the severed head part and watching his mother die and then turning into this diabolical, terrorizing individual. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Netflix series Mindhunter, but um, kind of, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to say. If you haven't seen have, it, go watch it. There's I have not, but ties in there. Um, so I, I found that interesting. Is that the, is that the one with like the where they kind of follow like the serial killers in a way? Yes, yes. It's okay. the origins of the FBI, uh, the FBI's program into uh, uh, what's it? Uh, psychopathic murders, mass murders. I've heard good things, but I haven't really had time to check it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a fan of Jason and. He cut, you know, or he didn't cut it, but he took his mom's severed head. And mm. there's a scene in there that it just, it's similar. So that's why I asked. That's why I asked. So good stuff. Okay. Right. Origins of Freddy. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, the first movie, Freddy Krueger is introduced as a child killer from a uh, fictitious town of Springwood, Ohio. He was a, a serial killer of children um, who killed the children with a bladed glove that he crafted himself in a boiler room, um, and that's what he used to kill his victims. Uh, he is captured, but he is in. He is subsequently set free uh, because it's discovered that the search warrant on which he was arrested was not signed in the right place. Well, these parents of these children obviously don't understand due process and are pissed off about this situation, which as an attorney, I see why he got off. You've got to sign the warrant in the right place. But anyway, um, the parents decide that they're going to take matters into their own hands. Um, And while he is in the building uh, where the boiler room was, uh, he's, he's cornered in that boiler room, and they douse the building with gasoline and set it on fire with Molotov cocktails and burn this man um, to death. But while his body dies, his spirit lives on in the dreams of a group of teenagers and pre-adolescents that are living there on Elm Street in Springwood, Ohio. Um, and these are the ones that he preys on and enters their dreams and kills them. And his power is fueled by the town's memory of him and the terror he caused when he was a 
serial killer killing children. Uh, we find out in the third film, which I will get to uh, here in a little bit, that Freddie, his mother was a nurse in an asylum. And she worked there in a rundown wing of the asylum that was used exclusively to harbor the most criminally insane people that they had in the asylum. And when she was young and working there, she was accidentally locked in uh, this wing with these maniacs um, over a holiday weekend. And they managed to keep her hidden for days, all of them raping her repeatedly. Um, when she was finally discovered, she was barely alive but she was with child um, and the child that she had in that situation with Freddy Krueger and makes him the bastard son of a thousand homicidal or a hundred homicidal maniacs uh, because there's no DNA testing in this time. There's no way to determine which one of them uh, was actually the father. That's the origin of the character that we see in the films. Now, I talked about the genius of Wes Craven and where Wes Craven came up with the idea of Freddy Krueger uh, and subsequently the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, his inspiration was kind of on the basis of several stories that came out in the L.A. Times, uh, true stories about a series of mysterious deaths where all the victims had reported recurring nightmares and then subsequently died in their sleep uh so that's where he kind of came up with the idea and in his original script his original thought of freddy krueger was to have freddy krueger as a child molester uh that gets killed by all these parents because he saw that as the worst thing possible even worse than being a serial killer that preys on children he saw being a child molester is the worst possible human being he could think of. Uh, however, there was a series of highly publicized uh, child molestation cases in California around the time the original Nightmare on Elm Street went into production. So they nixed the child molester thing uh, and just made him a serial killer that preyed on children. Interesting story of how he came up with the character Freddy Krueger. Um, his inspiration for the character came from three sources, a bully uh, from his high school days, a disfigured homeless man who had frightened him when he was 11 years old, and the 1970s pop song Dreamweaver by Gary Wright, which Mr. Bennett could tell you a good story about that song at another time. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, the bully from high school's name was Fred Krueger. That's where he got the name. But the look actually came when Wes Craven was 11 years old. He was living in an apartment building and he looked out the window and there was a homeless man that had like really bad burn scars all over his face. And he saw him as an 11 year old as a monster. And the homeless guy looked up and saw Wes Craven looking at him through the window. So it was one of those deals where he backed away from the window and waited a few minutes and thought, whew, and then went to look, and the homeless guy was still there staring at him. 
uh, giving him a look like, yeah, I know you saw me. And then the homeless man turned and entered into his apartment building um, and scared him to death. Wes Craven runs and tells his older brother about it. His older brother grabs the baseball bat and goes to the hallways to confront this guy. If the guy's coming to the apartment and the guy was nowhere in sight, um, never saw him again. But that memory and that image of that burned, uh, the homeless guy with the burn scars is where the image of Freddy Krueger comes from because that haunted Wes Craven since he was 11 years old. Good stuff. Wow. I got, I got one question about the homeless guy. Yeah. Do you think this is the same homeless guy that told um, uh, Axel Rose that um, if he knew where he was at, <laughs> he was in the jungle. He said he was going to die. So this homeless man may be a theme throughout this podcast, and we have no idea it's the same one. He's the Forrest Gump of homeless guys. He's in every scenario. <laughs> uh, Do okay. I get points for that one? No. Hey, that was a yeah. Hey, that was a nice like bang bang double play by me and right. That's a point. <laughs> Right, right down to right down to point. Right, right down to point. Yeah. No, we're right down to point. I got I got a one up there in the corner. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, so we talked about the origins, and along those lines, um, let's talk now about the original movie, the original film for these characters, and how that character was developed and how well received that original film was was uh, taken by the public. So, uh, Elrod, if yeah. you knock off with Halloween 1. This is where, Your Honor, I win. Right here. Because here's why. I mentioned in my opening statement earlier, that featured a lot of hyperbole. But I only speak the truth, you see. I, I speak the truth when I talk. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. The fir- very first Halloween movie, as we all know, is a brainchild of John Carpenter. He was a big micromanager when it comes to every little detail about this film. You said earlier, uh, before you stole my thunder, this film took 20 days to make. That's unbelievable. When you look at Halloween back then and a movie today, it takes a year most, most of the time to put all the finishing touches on it. 1978, uh, this was the first film that featured Jamie Lee Curtis, 19-year-old unknown actress. Um, we talked about the plot earlier, centers around a middle patient who killed his, it starts off, he murdered his little um, uh, sister. He goes off to a, a child's sanitarium for a number of years. The very night they're transferring him to court, he gets away and he goes back to uh, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, uh, the town where he was born. And he is going back to his house where he committed the murders uh, that night. Now, Jamie Lee Curtis character, Laurie Strode, which we we learn in the second movie, is his sister. John Carpenter did not want this to happen. In the first movie, we don't know that Laurie Strode is the sister of Michael Myers. That's not what John Carpenter wanted. She was just a babysitter in the first movie. They wanted to add different layers on in subsequent films, but the only connection that Laurie Strode had was she was just a, 
unfortunate babysitter at the Michael Myers family residence that night on Halloween, 1978. Um, in terms of how the public uh, viewed the film, $300,000 movie, which was a very low budget, even for 1978. But when you look at the amount of money it made at the time, it grossed $70 million. It was a home run, grand slam out of the park uh, when it comes to profit. Today, in today's money, that'd be over $100 million on a $300,000 budget. One interesting note is Kingsport, Tennessee native Nick Castle played the Michael Myers character in the first Halloween film. And his budget or his uh, take was $25 a day for the filming of the Halloween movie. So he was grossly underpaid and his agent needs to be fired for, for that deal. Nick Castle only played Michael Myers one time until the reboot in 2018, where they brought Jamie Lee Curtis back again. They wanted to bring back the original Michael Myers. So they brought Nick Castle back again. I think he earned a little bit more than $25 a day for that film. But it was a huge success. And one of the, one of the reasons why was that this was shot, some of, the, uh, some of the scenes from the first person, from the killer's point of view. This is a very Hitchcock thing, uh, theme that they uh, uh, played upon. Uh, the, the music. If nothing else, Halloween, of the three that we're discussing now, has the more iconic theme song. When you hear that music, you know some crap is about to go down, and it's not going to be good. It's, it's that it's the, the fast-paced music. His goal, John Carpenter's goal with the first film, is he wanted to make it perfect, and he wanted it to be on par with The Exorcist. That's what his, that's what his uh, goal was. And I would say, by, by, we'll talk more about what the critics say about this maybe later on, but I think he, I think he accomplished that goal. This first Halloween movie is viewed in the same regard as an exorcist or a shining and a lot of people put Alien in this category. I really, I mean, Alien was revolutionary for its time, but it's it's included in that top five. I want to make this point. We talked about Nick Castle, who played Michael Myers. Did you know, Your Honor, Nick Castle? If it wasn't for Nick Castle, you don't have Dennis the Menace. And iconic film, Major Pain. He was the director for both of those films. He didn't really have an acting career after Halloween. He, he wanted to be a director. So later on in his life, Dennis the Menace, great movie, very underrated movie. In Major Pain, a classic. Good points there. What, what are your two favorite lines from those movies? Dennis the Menace? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the, 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 it's got Christopher Lloyd. It's been a long time since I've watched those movies. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Major Pain. I just know that you all like Major Pain. Forks don't got carpet. Hey, Bennett, what you eating there, sport? What have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Oh, mm. man. And then the scene from Major Pain where he's talking about the choo-choo train. 
And then everybody gets murdered. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. Okay. Um, all right. Some good points there. Uh, I do, do want to ask, though, you, who was the lead actor? And for those that don't know, who is the lead actor um, in that movie? The, the main actor, Jamie Lee Curtis, has to be the, the one that came out of the movie. You got Donald Pleasance, who, who played the uh, psychiatrist, but Jamie Lee Curtis was a star of the first film. And she would later, uh, you would see her in the second film and not until we're going to talk about this movie later on. You know, which movie might be my favorite one of them all Halloween H2O, which was Josh Hartnett's debut film. Great movie, underrated movie. And we'll talk more about that later on. Now. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm just, okay. We're, B, let's, uh, what you got for us? Original film, fun facts, tidbits. How was it received? Oh, original film for Friday the 13th was released on May 9th, 1980. I really wish they could have found uh, a Friday the 13th date to release that. That would have been great. I think they dropped the ball there. But other than that, I, I touched on the, this movie quite a bit in my origin, so I kind of showed my hand a little bit. But just to kind of brush through it real quick, you've got 1957, you have um, a young Jason Voorhees that goes to the uh, Camp Crystal with his mom where he was bullied and uh, kids made fun of him and they were really cruel to him and he wound up drowning in that lake. Um, if we skip ahead one year to 1958, there are, uh, at the same camp, there are two uh, camp counselors that are mysteriously murdered. Nobody knows what happened to him. And so um, camp kind of closes down. You fast forward a bit to 1980, which is present day for this movie. And the camp is going to be um, reopened by this, uh, this guy and a group of uh, counselors. So they go there to uh, kind of work on the camp and, kind of get everything, you know, ready or whatever. And, uh, but as they're doing this one by one, all of these, uh, counselors are getting brutally, brutally murdered. And, um, all the way till there's just one of them left. And, uh, her name was Alice. And, um, so basically the whole movie is just all of these, uh, counselors getting picked off one by one and you don't see who's doing it or nothing. You just see all these people getting, uh, uh, meeting their demise in pretty uh, brutal ways. And uh, in the movie, like I said, you have Alice and she comes face to face with uh, Pamela, Pamela Voorhees. And this is where Pamela tells Alice that she is the mom of, of Jason that, that drowned. And so they kind of get into a scuffle and but Alice is able to uh, overtake uh, Mrs. Voorhees, and uh, she winds up decapitating um, her head. And that's when it's revealed that Pamela was the one that was the killer that killed all these counselors. For um, I mean, it wasn't these particular counselors, but for um, the counselors that allowed uh, Jason to die. And so um, the final scene of the movie, you know, it's it shows Alice and she's exhausted. You know, she just took down the killer that's been plaguing this uh, camp this whole time and probably responsible for these two murders back in 1958 as well. So she's exhausted 
and um, she's out like in this little canoe at, there at the lake and she's asleep. And all of a sudden you see a, uh, a young zombified Jason kind of emerge from this lake and he kind of uh, attacks her and grabs her. And then that's all you see. And then she, uh, she wakes up in the hospital and um, she's asking about, you know, the Jason, she's asking about the, the person that attacked her. And uh, the the police officer, the sergeant that's there at her bedside, the hospital is like, there was no signs of any boy or anything at that camp. And so she's like, okay, well, then he's still out there. And then the camera kind of pans back and shows the lake. And it's really eerie because the lake is really calm and still and everything looks peaceful, which I think was a nice touch considering everything that just happened at that camp during this time. Um, this movie isn't really so much about Jason as it is about uh, Pamela Voorhees. Um, if you don't count the uh, Freddy versus Jason film that we'll get into later, this is the highest grossing uh, film for the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, worldwide, it grossed 59 million, not quite the, the 70 million. And it was on a uh, half a million dollar budget. So, um, not bad there either. And um, real quick too, in uh, 2017, um, it was ranked number nine on the list of the uh, greatest slasher films of all time. And it's it's considered a pretty um, a pretty iconic movie too, because this this really kind of helped usher in that slasher genre that we got in the 80s. So it's it's a it's a pretty important piece of. Uh, history for us slasher fans excellent i elrod's trying to throw you off there with uh some camera antics but uh nope. don't let doesn't it face me hey i'm impressed or or he's just trying to get right going i don't know hey, right, i'm trying not to scare the kids okay i know my i know that this is this is better so i'm trying to scare the children trust me with it off is a lot scary <laughs> Okay, right. Uh, what do you got for us as far as Nightmare on Elm Street? Wes Craven wrote the screenplay to Nightmare on Elm Street. It is his brainchild, and he pitched it to, to several studios. Ironically, the first studio that showed any interest in this movie was Walt Disney Productions. And Disney wanted Craven to tone down the content to make it suitable for children and preteens. And Wes Craven told them to piss off, basically. <laughs> um, so Disney was a no-go. He got turned down by Paramount. Paramount. He got turned down by Universal. Finally, the fledgling and independent New Line Cinema Corporation, which up to this point had only uh, distributed films. They had never made films. Uh, but Wes Craven comes to them and they agree to produce the film. Now, since then, New Line Cinema has gone on to make bigger and more profitable films than Nightmare on Elm Street, but it was their first huge commercial success, and New Line Cinema Studios is often referred to as the house that Freddie built based off of this movie. Now, making this movie was not so easy because New Line Cinema, although they agreed to produce the film, could not afford to produce the film. Uh, as a matter of fact, they had had so little money at one point in production, they could not pay the cast or crew for two weeks 
while they were making this movie. Um, all of the film's production budget came from outside financers. And at one point or another, all of the original financers backed out during pre-production. Um, the original budget was set at $700,000, and it came out later. Uh, one of the guys from New Line Cinema said in an interview that half the funding came from a Yugoslavian guy who had a girlfriend that he wanted in the movies. Um, so thanks to that guy for uh, being a sugar daddy, I guess. Um, so casting for this movie. Originally, actor David Warner signed on to play uh, Freddy. For those that don't know who David Warner is, go back to a previous episode of this podcast when we talked about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. Professor Jordan Perry from the second uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, the scientist guy, that's David Warner. He was the original Freddy Krueger, um, but it didn't really fit. And he ended up having to back out due to scheduling conflicts. And they went through a ton of guys trying to find somebody to play Freddy. Um, Kane Hodder, who played Jason Voorhees, uh, actually had a meeting uh, with Wes Craven to play Freddy. Uh, but Wes Craven didn't really feel him. Uh, Wes Craven said in an interview later on, said, I couldn't find an actor to play Freddy Krueger with the sense of veracity that I was seeking. Everyone was too quiet, too compassionate towards children. Then Robert England auditioned. He wasn't as tall as I'd hoped, and he had baby fat on his face, but he impressed me with his willingness to go to dark places in his mind. Robert understood Freddy. Uh, of course, Robert England and Freddy Krueger are synonymous together now, um, other than one stupid remake that we'll talk on later on. Um, another one of these children, or these teenagers, um, that Freddy's preying on in this first in the movie was a young man making his uh, film debut by the name of Johnny Depp. Uh, was cast to play Glenn in this movie, and he actually didn't initially have an audition. He went with a friend to their audition, um, and Johnny Depp ended up getting cast in that role, and I think he went on to do pretty well for himself. Uh, but actually, that role of Glenn, initially they wanted Charlie Sheen uh, for that role, but Charlie Sheen wanted too much money, and like I said, New Line Cinema was struggling to get any money to make this film. They couldn't pay Charlie Sheen uh, more than $1,000 a week, which is what they play, paid Johnny Depp. Um, Their fan ain't cheap. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of, there were other actors that were rumored to have auditioned that have not been confirmed nor denied, but actors like John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Kiefer Sutherland, Nicolas Cage, and C. Thomas Howell have all been connected to this role of Glenn uh, in the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but it went to the young rookie, Johnny Depp. Um, they get the film made. The plot of the film is these four teenagers, basically, um, are being killed one by one in their dreams by Freddy Krueger. Their parents don't believe them, um, 
that's basically the plot of the movie. The film was released in November of 1984 and grossed 57 million worldwide. Um, it was met with rave critical reviews and is considered to be one of the greatest horror films ever made that spawned uh, the franchise that consists of six sequels, a television series, a crossover movie with Friday the 13th, Freddy versus Jason, a terrible 2010 remake, uh, and various other merchandise. But the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie uh, is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with a 94% critic score uh, and an 83% viewer score. So it was very, very successful. Great success. Would you say those numbers were again, right? 93 and 84? 94 and 83. 94 and 83. All right. Just making some notes. All right. Uh... Next up, we're gonna. I'm gonna change the order that we're going in a little bit here. I'm gonna let Bennett lead off, and then Rudd, mm-hmm. then Elrod. I just got a little tired of hearing Elrod's voice. So I need more time. So um, this is gonna be. Uh, let's talk about the sequels and the best movie in the franchise, if you would. And a point that I would like to know is how many films are also in the series, so I can get a sense of, of, you know, the true longevity of this character since we're talking about the sequels so uh bennett let you lead us off right you'll be second now we're up third well if you want to know how many films and how um, the longevity of uh jason and friday the 13th there have been a total of 12 films total for friday the 13th and all of them have been very 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 um creatively named let me just run through the list of some of these really extremely creative names that they've had for these movies. Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th part two, Friday the 13th part three, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. They lied. They did, but we'll get into that. Friday the 13th part five, a new beginning. Friday the 13th part six, Jason lives. Friday the 13th part seven, new blood. Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan. Yes, Jason takes Manhattan. Uh, then you have Jason goes to hell, Jason X, Freddy versus Jason, and then probably the most creative of them all in 2009, Friday the 13th. So those are all 12 of these very creative names for these movies. Is uh, or, Jason X a knockoff of Malcolm X? Oh, the X is supposed to be creative for 10. <laughs> Okay, okay, Got that, it. that's that's where they went with that. I could see space where you would, that movie. Yes, he goes to space. Man, Jason's like Johnny Cash; he's been everywhere. You know, I was a highwayman. <laughs> I want to see uh, Jason, Michael Myers, Freddie, and we'll throw Chucky in there as the highwayman. <laughs> you know, Freddie sings his part, then they go to Jason, and he's just. Like he's, he's Chris Christopherson in that thing. Oh boy. Okay. Before I get into what I would consider the best movie, I have one that's worth mentioning as an honorable mention, and that's uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Part Three is where he really bulks up to be like the big, huge, imposing figure that we know him for. The believe it or not, Friday the 
13th part three is the first time they actually gets his hockey mask in the first movie disfigured face and you you see him come out of the lake at the very end you know all zombified in the second movie he has like this uh it's like a like a sack over his head with like little eyes cut out. It's kind of creepy in a way if they would have went with that route. But they give him the the uh, hockey mask and it sticks in the third one. So that's a very very iconic uh, film for that much. It's it was released in 3D, which sounds super cheesy, but you got to think too. Back in the like early to mid 80s, there was a ton of films that were coming out in in 3D. So it was just along with the crowd. It kind of makes it fun. Um, in the in part three, he doesn't just use the machete. There's a whole bunch of different um, instruments that he uses to kill people. There's a there's a, a sewing needle through the head. There's a pitchfork through the throat, a fire poker through the stomach, a spear gun through the eyeball. And then, of course, he does uh, split this guy in half with his machete as well. So that's the third one. I almost had put third as the best, but so close but i'd mention it the best one though was the one right after it that was um the final chapter which was part four this was supposed to be it this was supposed to be the last one that they did so um they were going to go out swinging but the movie did so well and it made so much money you know what happens when something makes money they they drag it out they're going to ride the cash cow so it was since it was so successful, that's how we got the uh, the other eight after this one. A few things about this one. This one has the most likable characters. They're more relatable than a lot of the other ones were. And, um, and some of them, you know, some of the people uh, that get killed off are, um, you know, they're kind of jerks. Um, whenever they die, you're like, you know, I'm glad to see this guy die. You know, a lot of a lot of guys that are just kind of uh, douchebags throughout the movie. But these, and, and this one, whenever you see some of these people meet their demise, you're kind of bummed out. You're like, oh, dang, you know, I was hoping they would, you know, find a way to beat Jason, this or that. So it definitely has the most likable cast. Um, but when I talk about, um, you know, where they met their doom, this one probably has some of the most gruesome deaths out of the whole 12 – um, series and you can do yourself a favor and get into YouTube and type in um, top uh, Jason Voorhees kills and you'll see some pretty pretty crazy stuff kind of along the lines of like uh, your your Mortal Kombat there. Um, this film features uh, makeup effects by uh, Tom Savini, who uh, he was in part one. He set out part two and part three, and they were going to bring him back for, for part four because they did think this was going to be the last one. He's a very very well respected. Uh, makeup artist in his field. Um, this one too, we're introduced into Tommy Jarvis, who um, if you know anything about Jason, he is who you could, you could consider like in parentheses, his nemesis. Um, he actually goes on to be in um, a couple other films afterwards. So Tommy's in three films in total. And the final face off has usually is, Jason versus the final girl. That's what you see throughout the whole entire franchise. But in this one, in part four, you have the final face-off is Jason versus um, this uh, Tommy Jarvis. 
And um, it's kind of interesting, too, because it kind of taps into um, psych, some psychology into it, too. Tommy, um, he kind of shaves his head because he's, he's, he's a boy. He's young in this one when he's going up against Jason. It's like a David and Goliath type deal. And uh, it taps into some psychology where he where he shaves his head and kind of makes um, Jason kind of think, you know, like, you know, this is a this is a young me I'm talking to. And um, once Tommy's kind of persuaded him a little bit, he, he gives Jason a machete to the face, which was supposed to have killed Jason. But we know you're not going to kill Jason. So um, top to bottom, though. This is by far the most well-executed film out of the whole franchise. And if, if they would have ended on this one, they definitely would have ended on a high note. But I'm glad we got the, the other films after this one, though, as well. Awesome. Good stuff. All good points. Thank you for that insight, B. Right. How would you respond and uh, explain what you, the best film of the Freddy franchise is and uh, how it beats Jason? There are six sequels to the original Nightmare on Elm Street, making seven of that storyline. There's also the crossover movie with Jason Voorhees, Freddy versus Jason, and then there was a remake uh, of the original movie in 2010. Probably the most highly regarded is the original, as is the case with a vast majority of franchises, but one that came really close Uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Um, Going into this movie, the second movie in the franchise, Wes Craven had nothing to do with it, and it was awful, Uh, to the point that New Line almost stopped the franchise after the second movie. But they bring Wes Craven back in for the third movie, uh, and it ended up being such a massive success that the franchise continued on. Uh, so the first one and the third one are, are pretty universally thought to be the best two. Uh, in the third one, you have uh, Nancy, the original survivor from the first movie. Uh, she ends up working in an asylum, uh, an insane asylum that has this collection of teenagers that keep having these terrible dreams uh, and they're hurting themselves and they've got them in this psych ward, basically. Uh, it turns out these are the last remaining children of those parents on Elm Street that killed Freddy Krueger. Hence why they're all having these bad dreams about the guy in the striped sweater and they're all in this asylum and the, the girl, the survi- the only survivor from the first movie uh, is working as an intern in this asylum where they are. There are some pretty cool kills in this one. Uh, there are some pretty funny lines in this one. This is where Freddy Krueger's really starting to come full circle with the one-liners and being entertaining to the audience as well as a uh, uh, psychopathic dream killer. Uh, but he... He pulls the arteries out of one guy's arms that's a sleepwalker uh, and out of his ankles and walks him like a marionette through the asylum uh, to a top window and then cuts the arteries and the guy falls out of the top window. And, of course, everybody thought he committed suicide by jumping. Uh, In one of his funnier scenes that I won't repeat – 
Uh, there's a girl watching TV, um, and the channel makes it. Zsa Zsa Gabor is on a late night talk show, and she says something, and the host says, "Well, I've got one more question." And then all of a sudden, the host on the TV channel is Freddie, and he says, "Why the? What I care what you think?" And, and then like the TV spazzes out. The girl's trying to change the channel, and she gets up. Freddie comes out, his arms from the side of the TV. Uh, his head from the top of the TV and he grabs her uh, and he tell, says something along the lines of, are you ready for your big break in TV? And then he says, welcome to prime time. And then he smashes her head through the TV and kills her. Um, it's supposed to be scary, but it's hilarious uh, at the same time. <laughs> um, but it's a fantastic movie. Uh, grossed 44.8 million domestically on a budget of just over 4 million. Uh, mostly positive reviews from the critics. It's the third highest grossing film in the franchise. But the biggest argument, the biggest point I have to make on this on Rotten Tomatoes has a critic score of 72 and a fan score of 68. If you take all the sequels of Nightmare on Elm Street, all the sequels of Friday the 13th, all the sequels of Halloween, it is the highest rated fan-wise and critic-wise on Rotten Tomatoes as the best sequel in all three of these series. Good points. Good points. What were those Rotten Tomato scores again? 72-68. That was zero and one. The, <laughs> or, hey, uh, I shouldn't do this, but this will probably play in Rutt's favor, but I figured it's worth, it's worth mentioning, too. If it costs me, that's okay. Um, that that famous line where he says "Welcome to Prime Time" that was completely improved. Yep. Oh, I didn't even know that. Thanks for that. Um, they 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 wanted him to say, you know, "Ready for your big break in television," and they he had been doing um, he'd been doing that line a few times, and then he just came out with that <laughs> as a he did, and um, they liked it, but they wanted they really wanted the other part in there too, so they. They kept the "This is your big break in television," and they added in the improv line. So that's that's uh, Robert England doing what he does best. Good stuff. So there's your fun fact. Th th those fun points fact. go to me because it is my movie. But thanks. For <laughs> <that>. <laughs> oh. All right, Casey. Mm. You've waited long enough. I have. Your throat's probably getting dry. So uh, wet that whistle and give us what you got. All right. 11 total Halloween movies in the franchise. There's two more. This is one fact that I have. The other two people don't. Two more in production right now. One is ready to be released. If not for COVID, we'd have it this week. It was scheduled to be released this week. Halloween Kills. I'll talk about that more here in a minute. If you look at the 11 total Halloween movies, grossed over $640 million in box office sales. It is, if, if you look at um, the U.S. box office adjusted with dollars, it is the highest grossing um, horror franchise of all time. Let's talk about the movies. Halloween, we, we beat Halloween one death tonight. Halloween 2, John Carpenter gave the... Um, he had an advisory role on the second film, but he was not the director. So all the decisions, John Carpenter could give his input, but he didn't have the final say in the second one. And this is where 
they wanted to say that Laurie Strode, the main babysitter from the first movie, is Michael's sister. And this sets up a lot of continuity in terms of the other films. Halloween 2 has good reviews. Uh, it, it's not Halloween 1. It, it's not the John Carpenter film from the first one. So after Halloween 2, they wanted a fresh start. This is where whoever made this decision needs to lose their job or hopefully has lost their job already. Halloween 3 does not include Michael Myers at all. It's a totally standalone film, Season of the Witch, with such a flop that in Halloween 4, when they bring Michael Myers back, they don't even acknowledge the events of the third film. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, is where uh, the storyline shifts from Laurie Strode to her niece, Michael Myers' niece. And it would set the scene for the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth movies. The only thing I'll say about the fourth movie was, in terms of the niece, Jamie, the actress who should have got the role was one of my favorite actresses of all time. Still is. Melissa Joan Hart. Would have been her, would have been her uh, coming out party, but she was passed over for that role. Halloween Five, about thirty percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Halloween, Halloween Six, The Curse of Michael Myers is where we learn that Michael Myers has been under the influence of a cult the entire time, and that's the reason why he does all of his bad things. So. In terms of the movies four, five, and six, not very good. Every franchise is going to have, you're not going to have 11 good movies. Maybe Lord of the Rings. I know they have 11, but you're not going to have consistent. Odds are you're not going to have a consistent franchise where each movie is as good as the first. Now, let's talk about the most underrated movie in the franchise. Halloween H2O. Jamie Lee Curtis, after the second Halloween movie, said she was done. But money talks. That's a Money talks. And they bring her back in 1998. Josh Hartnett is her son in the movie. It's his first role. And it takes place after the events of the second, of, of the second movie. Basically, uh, Laurie Strode has faked her death to get away from Michael Myers says that she was in a car wreck. Michael Myers figures out where she is. She's out in California, not in Illinois. And he comes to the college that she's teaching at. And it's very scary. Very scary. It's got a, it, it's got a, uh, let's see here. It made $75 million at the box office, uh, partly because uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, not the nineties, she's at the height of her popularity. They bring her back to reprise this role. There's a lot of interest in her. Is $75 million supposed to be scary? Yes. Yes. It's supposed to be scary. Like this. Gotcha. Scary. Please continue. Thank you. Okay. So it's got uh, over 70% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's my favorite film in the franchise just because I think uh, it's just, it's very scary. I like the first Halloween movie. It's it's just, a, it's a little bit old. Yeah. Halloween H2 was the first Halloween movie I watched cover to cover. And it's a very scary movie. Now, let's talk about the sequel to Halloween H2O. Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O all centers around the relationship between Laurie and Michael Myers. Laurie Strode, besides Michael Myers, is, is the key fo focal actress 
and, and character in this series. But they commit the cardinal sin in Halloween Resurrection. They kill her off in the first five minutes of the movie. It literally shot people that they killed her off. Makes no sense. Halloween H- Halloween Resurrection, they're filming a reality TV show in the Michael Myers house. And that's the entire movie. Minus, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis. So I'll wrap this up. After Halloween Resurrection, that, that was it. It was a total flop. But Rob Zombie has a little bit of interest in the Halloween franchise. So he tries a hand. And he comes up with two entries into the franchise. And these are... Uh, these are movies that look back at um, a young Michael Myers. No one really knew why he killed people. Like, it, was he was he just a psycho, or did he have a backstory? Rob Zombie's entries into the franchise explores why does Michael Myers want to go out and kill everybody, and it has to do with bullying at school. So, in the in the Rob Zombie entry, he kills his school bully. He still kills his sister. Uh, so that's the reason why he's motivated to kill in, in those two entries. But let's real quickly talk about the new Halloween movie, 2018. John Carpenter has come back, not as a director, but he is having a lot of input uh, into the franchise when it came back for its new reboot. Halloween 2018 ignores all the events from Halloween 2, to the press. It's a direct reboot from the very first Halloween movie. Basically picks up where Halloween 1 left off. It pretends like the second one with Jamie Lee Curtis never happened. Jamie Lee Curtis has been waiting for Michael Myers to get out of uh, the sock ward all of her life. And she lures him to the house and it's all about them going mono and mono. And it's a fantastic movie. It made a ton of money at the box office. It, it's, it's uh, let's see, it's got an 80, 79% of Rotten Tomatoes for a, for a horror slasher movie. That's a lot for, uh, for Rotten Tomatoes. It's also secured two sequels, uh, Halloween Kills, which is supposed to be here um, <laughs> in this week, and Halloween Ends, which is um, scheduled for next year. And the last thing I'll say is, if you haven't watched the new Halloween movie, uh, at the very end, the house is on fire. Laurie Strode has finally killed Michael Myers, and he's burning. And you're like, finally. After all this time, Laurie's finally done it. And she, she's getting to the back of a pickup truck with the other people, and they're leaving. And you're like, finally, Michael Myers is dead. But then they, the studio announced that they're making two more. That, that doesn't make any sense. The this I told Rep this earlier. The best example of all time of a teaser trailer just came out a few weeks ago for Halloween Kills. And there's really no dialogue. It's It picks up where they left off. They're in the back of the truck. They're going down the highway. And you see the house burning in the background. But up ahead, you see an ambulance and you see an army of fire trucks going to that house. And you hear Laurie Strode screaming, let him burn! Let him burn. But you know what's going to happen. So it sets up the second and third uh, new trilogy movies perfectly. All right. I got one more tidbit to add. Um, I know we talked a little bit about how there's a Freddy versus Jason uh, movie. 
this isn't the only time these two have been paired together on the big screen. Um, in uh, when Jason goes to hell, at the very end of Jason goes to hell, there is a uh, a surprise ending. You have Jason's mask that's laying in the dirt, and they're fixing the it's the it's the closing scene, and they're fixing to pan out um, and start showing the credits. But as it's panning out away from that mask, you see Freddy Krueger's uh, claw come out of the dirt and it grabs that mask and then pulls it down into the dirt. So these two guys are kind of connected more than we think they are. Astute observation must be. You don't see them. You don't see Freddy and uh, Jason hanging out with Michael Myers any. No, he's too scary for him. Just saying. All right, so Elrod hit on a little bit of reboots. Um, Brett B, I don't remember, I don't think y'all hit on reboots, or if you did, I, I apologize. Do y'all have anything to add along those lines so we can just speed this along a little bit? I'll go ahead and go. Um, this is by far and away uh, my weakest argument uh, in this, as far as advocating. Uh, for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise because there was a release, uh, a reboot made in 2010 of Nightmare on Elm Street that sucked terribly. Um, they did try to go back. They did make Freddy a child molester, like Wes Craven's initial thought plan uh, in the new movie, but they tried to make it scarier. Uh, they tried to make it darker. They took out a lot of the famous Freddy one-liners. They took away any humor you could find in it. And when they did that, they really killed the essence of what Freddy Krueger uh, and Nightmare on Elm Street is. Um, even Robert England, he was not, he did not play Freddy in the reboot. Uh, it's the first Freddy Krueger that he didn't play. Robert England hated the reboot. Uh, it, it was that bad. Uh, there have been two times in my life that I have walked out of the theater utterly disappointed. One, Alex, you were with me, the six Harry Potter movie. Um, I walked out of the theater that night utterly disappointed. I walked out of the theater the night I watched uh, the reboot of Friday the Thir or Nightmare on Elm Street thoroughly disappointed. But I do want to point out a falsity uh, that Mr. Elrod said. He said, unlike these other two, there's not any new ones coming out. There is, in fact, in development, a new Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, it is kind of called in development hell right now. Uh, with Wes Craven passing away a couple years ago, that kind of put things on halt. He didn't have the film rights. He didn't have anything to do with the reboot, but those film rights have gone back to his estate, and they are currently shopping uh, ideas for another reboot an interesting note on that robert england said he doesn't want to play freddy anymore he wants to be in a reboot in a cameo but robert england has somebody that he wants to play freddy in a potential reboot and robert england's pick if he was doing the casting kevin bacon which is interesting to me bacon bacon, bacon. okay really did you just make that up, Kevin Bacon? Somebody may have made it up and put it on Wikipedia, but I took it as truth. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, 
about the reboot for um, Friday the 13th, it would be six long years after we had Freddy versus Jason, which is a pretty good movie, that we'd have to wait six years before we would get another Friday the 13th. And it's inevitable that we would get it because we already had a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. We had the Halloween reboot and we had the Amityville Horror reboot. So like reboots of all these like classic um, slasher horror films were making their run on the reboot scene. So in 2009, we get just that. We get a Friday the 13th reboot and it is creatively called Friday the 13th. Which I have, uh, I have a problem with this too because when somebody says, "What's your favorite um, Jason movie?" and you say Friday the Thirteenth, they're like, "Which one?" and you're like, uh, "The the the original one." Are you talking about the original reboot? Are you talking about the original original? So like, it's it's a mess. I don't know why they did this. You have to say it's the 2009 version if you want to say that's your favorite movie. I don't know why, but we'll get into that. This it's it's been praised for its cinematography. Um, the guy by the name of Daniel C. Pearl was the one who was in charge of this. And you might not know the name, but you know his work. He was also um, in charge of the cinematography for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, both the original and the reboot. He did both of those. Some of the good about this movie that I like, it's it's dark, and I don't just mean like, yeah, I mean, it's dark. You know, the whole movie's like set up kind of, you know, dark. You don't see a whole lot, but it's also got dark undertones. It's very gritty. Um, they do a good job in this one. They combined elements from the first four movies and they all just kind of like wrapped them together into one movie. So that was pretty nice. If you're, if you're not too familiar with the Friday 13th uh, franchise, you could watch this reboot and kind of get caught up to speed pretty quick on everything. Um, the uh, the guy that plays Jason in this is uh, Derek Mears, who does an exceptional job. Uh, Kane Hodder, that we talked about earlier, he's the one that gets most of the credit for playing Jason, but uh, Derek Mears does an astounding job as well. And uh, you can just see that he's, you know, given everything that he has. And um, he's been interviewed before about, you know, his inspiration for playing Jason and he says that he could he could uh, relate a lot to um, Jason Voorhees because he uh, he was born with this uh, very rare condition where like he lost like almost all of his body hair. So he said even like when he was growing up, he got picked on for being different. So he was able to kind of take that as some inspiration and kind of really get into that character. So great great job on him for for his uh, version of Jason. Some of the bad stuff about the movie is I don't like the way they made Jason out to be. He's more clever. He's more cunning than he usually is. He's kind of more of a hunter than his usual zombie self, which that's that's not the Jason that we know. We, he's not, you know, going to set out traps and kind of stalk his prey. That's not how he did in the other uh, 11 films. Well, the cast in this one's very annoying. You can't wait for them all to die. It doesn't happen soon enough. And really, you don't get anything new out of the reboot. It's it's the same stuff, but I feel like a lot of it kind of falls short to uh, the original movies of how it was portrayed. 
the movie did it did pretty well at the box office. So it did rank break in ninety two point seven million at the box office, which was the second highest grossing film for uh, Friday the Thirteenth. It had a uh, an, a three day opening weekend of forty point five million, um, which was the best for any horror film. It, it bested out uh, the Grudge back in 04, just barely as the best three day opening weekend. And um, this reboot is um, the highest grossing film among slasher film remakes in the 2000s. So it's got some good, it's got some bad, but overall at the box office, it was a, it was a huge hit at the box office. Good stuff. Good stuff. Fun fact about the garage. Saw that movie with Rutt and Garrett Ford. Pretty sure I probably clung to Rutt's arm the entire way home. Oh, you're misremembering. That was not the grudge. That was not the grudge. That was the omen. Are you sure? I'm a thousand percent sure. Isn't the grudge the one where they get like the noises like? Yes, but that yeah. was that's the movie. Then it was the omen that me, you, and Garrett went and saw. Well, okay. Because mm. we had to stand there while you walked inside from the car when we got back to your parents' house. <laughs> Dodge <laughs> again. I'm scared. Uh, okay, I'm a scared little boy. Oh shit. Okay, good memories. All right, so we're gonna move on. Uh, we're we're running long on time. So what we're gonna do is uh, y'all trinkled in critical and public reception, um, and we've talked about reboots. So I'm gonna give each of you one minute, and I'm gonna time it on my phone. Show you the timer. And I will cut you off if you're not done. One minute to tell me what sets your character apart from the rest. Okay? And uh, this time we're going to let the order be Rut, Elrod, Bennett. So, Rut, you're going to lead us off. Let me get my timer up here. And uh, when you're ready, go ahead and start. What sets... I was about to say, you're going to start the timer. What sets Freddy apart from Jason and from uh, Michael Myers? What sets him apart is as a viewer of somebody going to the movies, he's much more entertaining. These two idiots don't even talk. (laughs) Freddy Krueger has these hilarious one-liners that as a viewer... Uh, makes the movie worth it. And uh, what else sets him apart is the manner in which he kills you. These other two situations, you've got these big lumbering things coming at you that you could feasibly hide from, get away from. You can only go so long without sleep. And when you fall asleep, fighting an invincible opponent in your nightmare, there's nothing you can do. It's terrifying because once you're in his grasp, in his playground, there's no escape, and that's what sets him apart. He's equally terrifying and fun. Okay. I'll let you run a little long there, but you also paused because you didn't think I started the clock. So, Okay, uh, what do we say? Elrod's going to go second? Mm-hmm. All right. What sets Michael Myers apart? Go when you're ready. Alex, this is simple. What sets him apart between these two guys? There is only one of these three men that's in the Library of Congress. 
That's right. Michael Myers in Halloween was selected by the National Film Registry at the Library of Congress as the one horror movie or one of the horror movies that they are put in their library. Brett just said, you know, what's more horrifying? Uh, a, a guy that just walks toward you or a guy that's running after you? or it, It's the guy that is slowly walking toward you while you're running away. And he still catches up to you and kills you. That, that's the horror. Like, no matter what you do, this guy's going to come and kill you. That, my friend, is what sets my client, this guy, apart from these other two men. If it wasn't for Michael Myers, you don't get Freddy Krueger and you don't get Jason Voorhees. He set the tone in that first Halloween movie. All right. Excellent. I'll let you run over too long there, so I'm going to deduct a point from you. What? (laughs) (laughs) One minute. I saw it. Yeah, but I also hit the the wrong button and it went to alarm instead of Well, that's your fault, Your Honor, not mine. This is his courtroom. Oh, okay, B. Um, Jason, Friday the 13th. What sets Jason apart? Okay, a couple of things. Number one, Jason has limits. He he only targets the teen counselors and the adults. Um, he's never hurt any children or any animals. We know that Freddie was a child predator and killed children. Uh, Michael Myers has a huge rap sheet of harming animals. He's killed four dogs. He even killed his pet rat as a child. Elrod did not mention that. Yeah, I'm, I'm left that out. So, um, and that's not cool. You know, that's that's not cool. Um, number two, Jason's actually a victim. Like I said, he was born with the deformities. He's mentally disabled from birth. He's he was bullied. He was thrown into the lake where he drowned. His, he lost his mom, which was his whole life. He, was, he, he saw her get decapitated. So that left him all alone with a really twisted outlook on mankind. So, yeah, he is a, a brutal killer, but he does so. He warrants it by targeting those that had wronged him. Excellent stuff. And Ben is the only one that finished under a minute. That's incredible. All right, so uh, we're going to give everybody two minutes, and I'm going to time it again. You got two minutes uh, for closing arguments. We're going to go in the original order set by Mr. Rutherford. So it will be Elrod, Bennett, Andy. Um, Mr. Elrod, when you are ready, you may begin. There's been a lot of talk tonight, a lot of good talk, but the fact remains of the movies that we discussed tonight, Halloween, the very first Halloween movie, has a 96%, I don't think I mentioned this, 96% of Rotten Tomatoes. It should be number one. We have a very, uh, in terms of recency bias in this country, us and Get Out are ranked higher than the first Halloween movie. And that, and that is a travesty. But I will defer the rest of my time to a great critic that we know in this country by the name of Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert is notorious for not judging or not giving out four stars or even a three-star rating for slasher movies. He hates them. But in his review for Halloween, he said, and this is high praise, that this film was the closest thing to Psycho that has ever come out in cinema. 
in terms of the horror genre. That's high praise. Alfred Hitchcock set the tone and set the standard for horror movies back in the day with his first person camera points. Halloween comes along and it expands on that. The music, one of the more iconic theme songs of all time comes out from Halloween. And I talked about this earlier, Your Honor, but without Michael Myers, you don't have Freddy Krueger. You don't have Jason Voorhees. You don't have any of them. He allowed these two men to have movies. It's simple. This is a very simple thing for you to ponder, Mr. Alex. And it's Michael Myers. It is this guy right here. I will put the mask back on for your view and pleasure. So you don't have to see my face. This is the choice. How simple could it be? Excellent. Two minutes up. Very good closing argument, Mr. Elrod. And I would much rather look at Michael Myers' face than your goofy forehead. So with that, uh, Mr. B, two minutes on the clock. Closing arguments for Jason. All right. This, this should be well under two minutes. Um, closing argument for Jason Voorhees. We talked about three very deserving um, villains here tonight. All three are super iconic, um, probably the top three all time. Um, all three have been in numerous films, Jason in 12, I think Michael Myers in 11, and I think Freddy in nine, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if you go on and you check all these polls about who is the top slasher of all time, all three are interchangeable. One might be one, two, three. The next one you read, it's, it's three, two, one, two, three, one, blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's a mixed bag. Nobody can ever really agree on who's the best. But when you talk about who's the best uh, slasher villain, what do slashers do? They kill. And no one has killed more than Jason. He's killed 152 times, which is 30 more than Michael Myers and well over 100 more than Freddy has. And when you talk about kills, Jason's has been the deadliest, most violent, and the most brutal amongst these peers. Um, there is an interesting uh, poll by Ranker that has the best movie characters of all time, not just necessarily horror, but best movie characters of all time, all genres. That was updated uh, three days ago. Freddy is number 688. Myers is 352. Jason is 192. And if you're wondering who number one was, it was Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh, let me ask you this. Is the greatest slasher found on Elm Street? No, nah, not in your dreams. What about Halloween? Halloween is for kids. The greatest slasher can be found at Camp Crystal. And watch your back on Friday the 13th, or you may come face to face with the greatest slasher of all time, Jason Voorhees. Nice. Nice. Nice to be. And it was a minute 59 seconds. So. Bravo. Mr. Rutherford, can you top that closing argument? Will Two I minutes. Clock is reset. Start when you want. Here's the thing. We skipped the public reception, people's perception. And Mr. Bennett's right. You can go on Google and you can look up different polls and you're going to find some that are in your favor, some that aren't. Um, and I did just that, but I do want to look at some reputable ones. 
uh, Cinema Blend ranks Nightmare on Elm Street as the second best horror franchise of all time, ahead of both of these two over here. Evil Dead was number one. I don't agree with that, but hey, what do I know? Um, Ranker that Bennett mentioned, which is voted on completely by normal people, but completely by fans for best horror franchise of all time, Nightmare on Elm Street is number one with these two as number two. So the people have spoken. Rotten Tomatoes, who know a thing or two about movies, have had an article called the Essential 25 Essential Slasher Movies. And guess what number one was on that list? It was Halloween. Congratulations, Elrod. However, number two on that list, Nightmare on Elm Street. Number nine on that list, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. It is the only one of these that has more than just the original one in that list. It's the only one to feature a sequel. Has two in the top ten. The bad Freddy Krieger movies are bad. But if we're looking from a franchise perspective, it has more good ones, more elite ones, more than just the original. Has the best sequel of the bunch if we're looking at the franchise. And the last point I want to make... They want to talk. Jason was bullied. He was deformed. Michael Myers, we go back. He was bullied. He, Freddy Krueger wasn't bullied. Freddy Krueger's just a bad person that hates kids and wanted to kill them. He's not a good person. Guess what? He's not up for Times Man of the Year. But if we're looking at the best villain, the best bad guy, the best slasher, it is Freddy Krueger. And he makes you laugh. Oh. All right. Oh, one more thing. That Rotten Tomatoes poll, the new Halloween movie is number 11. Already? Right. Top 10. Well, it's 11. And I've got number one. So one and 11 is better than your two and whatever. Two and nine? No, it's two in the top 10. Suck it. <laughs> play to win. You play to win the game. Play to win the game. All right. So uh, looking through my notes here, everything in red are notes. Ooh, oh, look at you. Y'all did, y'all did quite a bit of talking, and I did a, quite a bit of writing. Um, we brought it tonight. Looking for any questions that I might have. B, you answered my biggest one in your closing argument, so very good on that. Um, Was it about number one being Forrest Gump? <laughs> number one okay, character okay. of all you time answered, yep that was definitely yep, number one but okay you answered my top two questions then um something it, just off the top if you might have mentioned it but remind me when the original movie for halloween friday the 13th nightmare on elm street when were those released the original halloween was 78 1978 okay. friday the 13th was 80 1980 okay November 1984. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, looking through my notes, the things that I'll just go top to bottom. Um, so I'll start with Rut. Uh, things that I liked or think that went in your favor um, would be the fact that probably has the best franchise. I, I'll agree with that. Uh, your. Um, and the fact that the the funny, uh, the way he the way he interacts with his victims, the funniness, the comedy that goes into that, I think that's very unique uh, and something that definitely distinguishes that character. Also, the manner in which he kills his victims, very original. 
um, the the dreams uh, and being indestructible, very unique as well. Um, as far as a negative, uh, the reboots and and you you threw that one out there. You admitted the reboots are just absolutely atrocious. Um, the I would like to say, though, that Bennett framed Jason as being a victim, but didn't you mention uh, Freddie being burned alive? That's how he got his deformed. I mean, he was burned alive because he killed all their kids. So <laughs> I'm still going to classify that as, okay, he was somewhat of a victim. Did he de- deserve to be burned alive? You know? He deserved justice, and that would have been a court of law. Justice. You only believe that because your uh, client served juvie for 12 years <laughs> with no trial. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm just, I'm taking points away from Michael Myers because he had a shitty attorney. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, th- those are things that really jumped off the, the, uh, and this, the 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 insight into the homeless guy and, and getting his brother in the baseball bat and was never seen again. That was that was super original as well. So uh, good on that for the Jason films. Um, again, uh, good explanation I thought on the Pamela versus Alice and and the character building of of Jason uh, and how all of that tied in together. Um, I love the points that. Jason doesn't hurt children or animals. Um, I mean, I think that I think the not hurting children might take away a little bit of the fear of a child watching the films if they were exposed to that kind of movie early on. But at the same time, it almost would make you dread growing old because like, as long as I'm young, I'm safe. Um, But the fact that you, uh, you, the kill count, I mean, by more than 100 over Freddy and 30-something for Michael, absolutely has the kill count in his favor. Has the most sequels of, of both, or of all three, been considered. Um, what else? It, the origins, the Forrest Gump childhood, and how Gump could have been the potential next <laughs> Jason is... <laughs> I cannot give you enough props on that. Um, I mean, we don't know. We do, we don't. And you know, if, if you're right, if it wasn't for Bubba and Jenny, I think Jenny took a lot of that evil away from him uh, and channeled it through her own devices. But um, you, you mentioned appearance, stature, sim- sympathy, gory, the silence, him being undead, the kill count. All of those are great points, and you hit on all of those throughout your argument. So, very good job there, Mr. Elrod, Michael Myers. The first thing I wrote down as a as a comment is you said the phrase "isn't no," is not no. What? Going to leave that out there, um, but bring on the tape. <laughs> Uh, we will. We'll put watch, it on the website. Watch it when Rudd gets done editing this thing at 2 a.m. this morning. <laughs> I'll be happy if I'm done it too. Can you can you uh, put the clip on our, our Facebook page? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. Is it no? 
Um, so things that I think Michael Myers has going for that argument that you really pointed out are the fact that it had the highest uh, gross to budget ratio of the three. Um, and it came out uh, uh, earlier um, than the other, the other two. Um, it only took 20 days to make. The fact that it's in the Library of Congress, although, you know, given how Congress and government works, is that really a compliment? They got it right with this. They got it right. That's the one thing they've got right. For the doubt and say yes, but um, this is more of a a personal preference. I really like how you referred to your client as Michael is your client. It it makes it personable. He is. The math. Although I will say the uh, Jason face behind Bennett's right shoulder is very uh, troublesome and unsettling. (laughs) Uh, Other things that you mentioned, um, the continued productivity, you know, you have, uh, what is it, 11 films total and they're still making some. Well, they've already made the other two. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings. They filmed the other two at the same time. So they're not right now. Okay. So um, I do want to... I wish you would have clarified since you said Halloween H2O is, is one of the better films of the series. Is it high quality H2O or just H2O? Um, but I, I, you know, arguments are over. So I'll let that one hang out there. Um, some inconsistencies that I thought maybe, maybe that you, I caught as inconsistencies, but maybe it was just my misunderstanding in your original opening statement. You said targeting, like uh, the the theme of like targeting people that sin, yes. Uh, but then later on, the Rob Zombie and, and he targets bullies. No, in, in the original, not the not the Rob Zombie entries, but the original entries, especially the John Carpenter entry, it was the people that sin got killed. Not so much in the later entries. Okay, um, but definitely points that that go to your favor is Ab- Halloween absolutely has the most iconic music for me. Um, and the 96% Rotten Tomatoes, great, great little ad there in the end, but another big hole that I think you had to fill and you kind of threw it out there is the fact that there are three absolute duds in a row. Yeah. Not like they were sprinkled throughout the series. It was boom, boom, boom. Four. That's the reason why the studio lost the, I don't think I mentioned this, lost the original studio lost the uh, the rights. It went to Zo- Rob Zombie, and then now it's found its way back to the original uh, crew with uh, John Carpenter. So yeah, that was. I mean, that was a big hole to fill. So, and I'm not gonna lie, having a predisposition, uh, listening throughout. I, I balanced back, ebbed and flowed, went back and forth, um, but. From an argument standpoint, from uh, explaining the background of the person and the character building throughout the series, um, taking into account when the movies came out, the subtleties of uh, society at the time, how money was made, the budget they had, um, I am, this is really hard, but... I'm going to have to give this one to Brian Bennett and Jason Friday the 13th, Michael, Michael Myers, as much as I didn't, I think what got me with 
<laughs> I think right, what got me was Freddie, and, and I like watching. I like watching Freddie better than the other two because I get the humor. I like the humor. But to me, that is although it's unique, that's not what makes it scary. So I want to watch it for different reasons. You sleep well um, tonight. Do what? You sleep well tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be in your dreams. I know. I probably will have a Freddy dream in my. Yeah, I think I think Bennett made a very very some very compelling arguments. Um, so uh, good on you, B. That's I'm going with Jason. How do you say his last name again? I always do it wrong. Voorhees. Voorhees. I want to call it Kruger. <laughs> Jason Kruger. Jason. Okay. Jason Kruger. Not to be confused with Chad Crow. No, never mind. I don't Kroger. remember. Chad Kroger? Yeah, Chad Kroger. Kroger's got his, their name from? Mm-hmm. Kroger? All right, anyway. All right. Uh-huh. Well, right, wrap us up. It's been great. It's been fun. What do you got for us? Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. We tried our absolute best to keep it short, and much like the victims in these movies, we failed miserably. But hopefully uh, it was entertaining. Um Hopefully, Alex has terrible nightmares tonight, uh, but congratulations to Mr. Bennett. Elrod losing is, you know, about as common as uh, Forrest Gump references on this show. Uh, Bennett, do you have a, a, a victory lap to make? A couple of things, sure. Um, I, going into this, I was more of a Freddy Krueger guy. I like the – I like the uh, – how elaborate his kills are and the humor. I get it. I love it. But the more that I dove into Jason, the more of appreciation I had for his style and kind of got into his brain a little bit. So I think I put Jason right up there with Freddie for me now after everything that I've looked at. And number two, I want to give a quick shout out to a good friend of our show, uh, Corey. He's a huge fan of all three of these guys, and he's really been looking forward to this episode. So I hope he enjoyed it. Well, if we're giving shout-outs, I want to throw one out to my aunt, who we are recording on Monday. Happy birthday, Kathy. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kathy. Her and her son, my cousin Teddy, are both big fans of these type of movies. Uh, They're more Michael Myers people. um, I like them. I like them. I hope this show has put them in their place and showed them the correct order of things. Um, But happy birthday, Kathy. And thank you guys for joining us. We are going to uh, head out of here and uh, we will be back next week. Next week, a special election edition since the show will be coming out. uh, The Facebook preview will be on election night. We're going to look at the greatest president of all time. Is it George Washington or is it Abraham Lincoln? Find out next week right here on Convince Me. Check out our socials. Make sure you're following us. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for hanging out. Have a good Halloween. And Alex, you sleep well tonight. Hey, for next week, I just want to say I would like to throw out there even though if you're not going to let me come argue it, Calvin Coolidge, best president. Oh, oh, silent cow. Good choice. That's a big statement, Alex. That's a big statement. It is. Check us out next week. Sweet dreams, everybody. Sometimes you got to just talk them into it, Elrod. <laughs>